0: Welcome in everyone to the Talking Tide Podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television, joined twice weekly throughout the fall by Travis Ryer, the senior analyst at BamaOnline.com and the host of Southern Fried Sports Radio at 100.9 FM in Tuscaloosa weekdays, 11 a.m. to noon. The Talking Tide Twitter feed is Talking underscore Tide. You can find our handle there easily and keep up with all the broadcasts here at podbean.com. Recapping this Alabama game against Tennessee, Travis, it it was a wild one, probably a little tighter than we've seen in some time. Uh, certainly with Tennessee on the shadow of Alabama's goal line in the fourth quarter trying to make it a one-score game, uh, it, was, it was tighter later than I'm thinking a lot of Alabama fans would have expected, and it had some wild moments, including the wildest of all coming right off that uh, fourth down play.
1: Yeah, and look, if nothing else, I guess in this now 13-game win streak for Alabama in this series – There have been a couple of games in Tuscaloosa that have been very competitive. 2009, as we know, 10 years ago, and even a sneaky good game in this series. It doesn't get talked about a lot, but four years ago, 2015, that was a 21-14 game here in Tuscaloosa. So kind of similar to those games in in that regard. You had uh, turnovers uh, that were a big part of the storyline on Saturday night, both from the Alabama perspective negatively. Up 7-0, Tua throws the pick there in the end zone. That really changed the entire complexion of the game. If Alabama goes in there, it's 14 nothing. still early in the first quarter, and I think we sort of know what's coming next. Instead, Tennessee draws life from that turnover, goes down, cashes in, and next thing you know, we got a 7-7 game. So, in addition to the light show, which we both uh, took in Saturday night at Bryant-Denny Stadium, Fans actually had a reason to hang around to the fourth quarter yeah. because the game wasn't entirely decided until Trayvon Diggs took that fumble 100 yards to the house to pretty much ice it.
0: Yeah, two biggest plays of the game I think we've already touched on. The Diggs return, obviously, at the top, and that, that, that Tungavaloa interception, definitely a, a, a huge swing as well. And what about the Henry Ruggs rundown, Travis, knocking Nigel Warrior down, I guess, around the 40-yard the line or in that vicinity, kind of coming out of nowhere, too. And, and what I noticed about that was that the convoy around Warrior, well, they were all running up the sideline, too. So, that naturally, they're looking inside. They're looking into the field to try to take somebody out. And Ruggs is coming up on the other side, hugging the chalk.
1: Yeah, it looked like uh, the back stretch of a 4x100 where the guy in the lead was getting just sucked they, up.
0: They all looked left. If if one guy would have looked right, maybe yeah. you know.
1: Jalen Waddle was there too, though. You know, if you go back and watch the replay, that was the problem that Nigel Warrior had. He's not really a four by one hundred guy, a relay team guy, and he had Alabama's top two relay get, relay guys chasing him down on the play. But you're right, it was great hustle by Henry Ruggs the third. You get the sense that. He almost relishes those opportunities. He sees that start to unfold and he thinks, "Oh, here's a chance on national television to show everybody that 418 or whatever it is he runs.
0: <laughs> that 405. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: 40326. Yeah. But whatever it is, it's plenty fast enough and you know, it was a double whammy and it's really to be honest with you, it's a it's a decision that 22 starts into his time behind center. Tua Tonga-Vailoa shouldn't be making. I know it sounds maybe a little bit extreme considering this is a guy who's thrown what, 27 touchdown passes this year against now, just two interceptions. But still, if he has sort of that bugaboo chase, it's down there in those situations where he just will not give up on a play. He was doing everything right on the play. He was moving away from pressure. He was getting outside the pocket. You figured the throw was going up in about row four of section BB over there in the corner. And at the last second, he can't help himself. He's got to try to fit something in. And I mean, there was nothing. There was nothing there. And it was a double whammy because the return by Warrior put Tennessee's offense on the short field after a, a three and out. And I you know, a, a think a, a turnover, too, an interception. So it, it provided opportunity to Tennessee in, in multiple ways.
0: Yeah, There's no doubt about it that, that- he, he at, at times, tries to thread needles too small. Uh, but that particular throw is one where he will go ahead and throw it away. Sometime. You know, in a situation like that, uh, it's the kind of throw, you know, just last week when he threw his first interception, that, that throw was ill-advised, but it wasn't as bad as the one against Tennessee. No. Uh, because the, the, the coverage was, the coverage didn't sneak up on him. It was right in front of him. But nevertheless, uh, as long as we're on that subject, he goes 11 out of 12, I think, for the game um, and uh, was otherwise impressive. But a high ankle sprain knocks him out. And uh, the, one, of the, one of the Heisman front runners anyway is going to be missing a game, Travis, and I guess looking ahead to LSU now.
1: Yeah, if the two turnovers were the two biggest plays of the game, that play in which Tua went down with the ankle might prove to be the biggest play of the year, depending on how he comes out of this latest tightrope procedure, which you heard from Nick Saban earlier on Sunday. Saban touched on the fact that once again, for a second straight year, Tua was having that, uh, that procedure performed over in Birmingham. Uh, Saban thinks he'll miss the Arkansas game. I think Slade Bolden could play quarterback this week. He was the only Alabama player, by the way, to throw a touchdown pass on Saturday night. Um, But yeah, I mean, obviously you're circling November the 9th and the bye week, obviously second bye week comes at a good time. I, you know, the question I have is left-handed quarterback, which ankle is it worse to have this injury to? Is it the left ankle, which he had last year, which is on his drive foot? Or is it that right ankle, which is your lead foot and maybe the, the foot that you... You know, you have to rotate more through your throwing motion on when you land on that lead foot and try to finish throws. That's it's gonna be interesting to see how he sort of adjusts to that.
0: Both of those feet have their own importance. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah, they do. So, you're right. You drive off that left foot, that's where you get a lot of power and you're and you know, you generate energy from the ground up in your throwing motion. But I would wonder if accuracy though, with the right foot, it becomes more of an issue.
0: Gonna be Highly watched when he gets back to practice. Just a little bit. A couple of yeah. weeks or uh, whatever the case may be for sure. A couple other interesting notes on the game. Travis Najee Harris over a hundred yards. Again, a couple of touchdowns. I thought the offensive line uh, played pretty darn well for the most part. And uh, Harris especially is uh, at least of late seems to be stepping it up a little.
1: Yeah. The move to that more. I don't know. I for I don't want to say formidable because I think Chris Owens is a solid player at center. Um, but the the presence you have with Landon Dickerson at center and Deontay Brown at right guard, Evan Neal at 6'7", 350 pounds at left guard, uh, they seem to have found something. And you're right, the run game once again, third 100-yard rushing performance for Najee Harris in the last four games. In those last four games, he's now rushed for an even 400 yards, so averaging 100 yards per game over the last month. Um, Brian Robinson, not extremely busy there in the first half. Alabama didn't run a lot of plays in the game. I think they came up short of 60 total plays on Saturday night, but Robinson in that fourth quarter on that final possession when Alabama wanted to just hang on to the football. For the second straight year, it was Brian Robinson that kind of helped salt that thing away. But, you know, another, when you add it all up between receiving and rushing chase, another 200-yard Performance from your top two backs. And you're going to take that just about every week in this offense.
0: Travis, what do you make of of the way that in some games we see Robinson early and often and get at least a couple series in the first half, if not more, and more or less rotates with Harris? uh, Whereas in other games, we barely see him at all uh, until the second half. And I know he he played a little bit toward the end of the first half against the balls but it seems like there's, uh, they go back and forth a little bit on how they want to split things up.
1: Yeah, it seems like the last couple of games, though, there's been a more concerted effort to get Harris more of the touches because he had a career-high 20 carries against Texas A&M a week ago. He betters that by a carry Saturday night against Tennessee. So last two games, 41 carries for Najee Harris, and Brian Robinson was 7 against Tennessee, Brian Robinson with a couple of catches in the game against the balls, but even there, Najee with four catches for 48 yards. Um, it, it's just hard to argue against the productivity with, with Harris in there in the, in the last couple of three weeks.
0: He's played well, no doubt about it, and it, it, I suppose it all, that success comes at the ideal time, I suppose, with Mac Jones having to step in, at least in the short term, at quarterback.
1: Yeah, you thought once Tua went down with about six minutes to go in the second quarter Saturday night that, well, they're going to have to lean more on that run game. I thought it was kind of a nervy beginning for Mac Jones. Some of those throws were not uh, reeking of a lot of confidence, uh, which is kind of unusual for him because usually when he goes into games – Um, that's not an issue, but it was such a sudden change type situation. It wasn't the fourth quarter, you know, when he kind of is anticipating going in, it shows you, and I think Nick Saban maybe subconsciously touched on it post game about the need to be ready at any moment. And it took, it looked like it took, um, took Mac a little bit of time, but you know They didn't really go two-minute there at the end of the first half, but they were able to get the ball to Harris in a couple ways in which they actually got down there and were in position for a makeable field goal attempt that Joseph Bullivis didn't quite convert. Um, so I thought that was kind of a steadying drive. Even though they didn't get points there on that last possession of the first half, I think that probably went a long way. And then getting into the locker room and allowing Mac Jones to breathe a little bit, kind of get his legs under him. Uh, Helped the offense in general in the second half, although it wasn't a prolific performance by any means uh, there in the second half.
0: I thought he played a little better than the numbers suggested to me. He would have gotten more reps and more opportunities if there hadn't have been a couple of drops on accurately thrown balls on him too. Mm-hmm. So that that was that, that on the back end that played a little part as well. Uh, but uh, certainly Mac Jones will be. Uh, stepping into a game where Alabama is going to be heavily favored, obviously against Arkansas. With Mac Jones, though, and, and if you're the Arkansas DC, I don't think you give any respect to the keeper where the RPO game is concerned. And so, if you're if you're Sark and you're building a game plan for Mac Jones against Arkansas, I don't necessarily know that you want to build in the keeper threat very much.
1: There'll still be some RPO action, more so like you're saying, because you have to respect the running back part of that play action. But there hasn't been a lot of keeps for Tua either, although, again, more effective as an improviser, no doubt about it, than Mac Jones. So uh, it could be. Um, I don't know if there's necessarily a lot more under center with Mac Jones, um, but probably an offense that looks more like what we saw last in what 2015 with Jake Coker, or maybe even 2013 with AJ McCarron. Um, and obviously you, you want to get these receivers involved still as much as you can. There there's, it might be that there's more play design that gets the ball to the guys on the outside, whether it's jet sweeps or easier throws, um, because you, you can't not still try to incorporate Judy and rugs and Smith and, um, and waddle into this game plan. So, yeah, from that standpoint, it will be interesting. But, you know, this is an Arkansas team, for crying out loud, that lost to a Kentucky team that had a wide receiver playing quarterback a couple weeks ago. So should be able to come up with something for the, the uh, woeful Razorbacks uh, this Saturday.
0: We'll be previewing that game uh, in full later in the week on Wednesday night. But uh, the Talking Tide podcast uh, at podbean.com. A few more minutes on the Tennessee game. Tennessee with 13 penalties for 93 yards, Travis. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt highly animated, we'll say, throughout the game. Uh, and, and Vols fans not at all pleased with the the number and uh, circumstances with a lot of those 13 flags.
1: Well, there was a big one there in the third quarter. I mean, the roughing the passer call or whatever, the the, the call on Taylor, I think it is for Tennessee. That was awful. Yeah. It was huge because that was a third and 10 play. Tennessee's about to get a stop. You know, Alabama is, you know, as we've seen, and the punting game was a big story in this too because you had a walk on emerge for Alabama there in the second half. But, you know, that was an awful call. I mean, let's just call it what it was. That shouldn't have been a 15 yarder. But if you're Alabama, you take it. And uh, it, it was a big moment in that game. But, you know, both teams, I just thought the penalties were never going to stop. You know, I wrote about it on BAM Online after the game. You know, the new lights with the red and light whites. I didn't know if that was the cops, you know, at the game for right. all these infractions. It was like a crime scene or something with all the flags. But um, it, it wasn't pretty for either team. What would you have? 21 enforced penalties in the game between the two teams? A bunch. Uh, yeah. And you know, you know, we're already trying to get home by 2, 2.15 if we're in the media. <laughs> and uh the the the, uh, the officials tried to turn it into a Calvary Baptist lock-in or something from across the street.
0: <laughs> they were throwing laundry all over the field, no doubt about it. And yeah, Taylor, that was that's not the call you want to see on on any team, anybody. When I saw it, I the first thing I thought of was, well, yeah, the only thing you can compare it to is sometimes when the defense, yep. when the guy that gets the sack takes an open hand and shoves the helmet into the turf. Um, from behind that every once in a while, when that gets flagged, you're not as surprised, but that's not what Taylor did. Taylor just gave him a little shove in the shoulder pads. From what I could tell.
1: I think Hubert Owens thought he was going to do that because when I'm watching the replay, that's what you just outlined. I'm thinking that's must be what he did to draw the flag, but he never did it.
0: Uh-uh.
1: He never did it. And the flag came anyway and, uh, worked out just fine for Alabama.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, Definitely a big play in the game. All right. uh, Defensively, I guess, real quick, Travis Terrell Lewis, a couple sacks. He's got four in his last two games now uh, coming alive a little bit as a pass rusher, which is something Alabama is in need of.
1: No doubt about it. And right now, the two constants that you can sort of count on, Terrell Lewis first and foremost, and Anthony Jennings at at the outside linebacker position as well. Alabama still, in some situations, though, Chase, when it comes down to trying to get heat with four guys, uh, still not something that they're doing on a consistent basis. If it's not Terrell Lewis, if it's not Anthony Jennings, you know their best blitzer right now is a safety, outside of their edge rushers, who I don't count as blitzers. I, Lewis and Jennings, they're coming on third down. I'm talking about inside linebackers, other guys. You know their best blitzer right now is Xavier McKinney coming from the, uh, safety or the, or the, uh, the, the, the dime back position. So that's an area where they got to continue to improve. They tried Christian Barmore in there early in that dime rabbits right there in the middle on Saturday. And, you know, he's a disruptive guy, but, uh, they've got to find a combination here in the next couple of weeks that can get Joe Burrow off the spot because if Burrow is able to sit in there and kind of first read you he and those receivers are going to put up some big numbers. The frequency
0: with which we see McKinney blitz has got, it's obviously a, a direct reflection on how much they trust the guy that's got to cover his hole in the deep part of the field. Right?
1: Yeah. Well, and that was the good thing too, about the Alabama. I thought Jared Maiden was Alabama's best defensive back Saturday night. Uh, when you go back and watch it, I had kind of built this perception based on, watching jared maiden over the last year and a half that he's just one of those hold down the hash safeties you put him on a hash and whatever's in that area he's gonna hold it down right but if you ask him to go too much off that hash not a lot's gonna happen well he did some of that saturday night he had a couple pass breakups he had the interception there early in the game um i did i you know everybody else just about got flagged patrick sertan got hit with two Trayvon Diggs got hit with one. Um, Jared Maiden, I thought, played his best game in the secondary since he's been at Alabama in that in that game Saturday night.
0: Made a couple plays, no doubt about it. The Talking Tide podcast at Podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in. Travis, uh, the Will Reichard re-injury uh, and the discovery of Ty Perine, I want to say for the pronunciation uh, of note as well in, in this game. I don't think I've heard a cheer for a <laughs> solid punt as loud as that Bryant Denny crowd unleashed for uh, for perine is uh is maybe maybe it's been the last time JK Scott launched one about 60
1: it was uh, reminiscent of that cheer you'll get at Yankee Stadium when they're an embattled home plate umpire you know, he's kind of squeezing the hometown Yankees a little bit, and he'll finally call a corner, yeah. and the and the and the crowd at Yankee Stadium will let out this uh, <laughs> mocking type yeah. of uh, cheer. That's what it was. It was kind of the, I guess, the Bronx cheer, I guess you could say, uh, Saturday night at Bryant Denny Stadium. But no, that's that was a revelation because a couple of really good punts, forty-two and fifty-one, with good hang time too. I know there had been reports that you know he was. Uh, potentially capable of five, five hang time. I'm going to have to see five, five hang time. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's good. Your blimp hang time. Yeah. You know? But, but look, I did on the first one because I, I wanted to see, I, I did do the old, I did the old, uh, you know, your, your buddy timing you out on the street in the 40, you know, with his stopwatch, You did that. I, I did it on the, I did it on the iPhone. I broke out the stopwatch on the iPhone and I had him at a little more than four five on that first punt. I mean, you punt at 42 yards with four or five hang time, there's not a coach in college football that won't take uh, that. Because I mean,
0: that'll, be, that'll be a 42-yard th- net.
1: Exactly, and it's all about net. And also what I like about uh, the the, the walk-on uh, from Prattville, by the way, is that he's a one-and-a-half-step type punter, if you notice. Got it off. You got, you got a snapper like Thomas Fletcher, man. I mean, he is so good that you can already be in your motion when you catch it. You can already be a step in, mm-hmm. and then it's one more step and get it out of there. And so I liked everything about it. I thought from from catch to kick to even tackle on one occasion, uh, there was a lot to like about what you saw in that regard.
0: Credit to you, by the way, about three weeks ago when we were talking about Riker's return, you said you thought punter might be the first role he pops back into the lineup in, and sure enough, that's what happened.
1: As a never was college punter kicker, I actually had that injury, and and I did both. I kicked and punted, and I and I remember, I, I was far more capable of punting than I was as a soccer style kicker because of the rotation and the torque and all those things. So, you know, watching him watching Riker in pregame, he wasn't really going at it hard though. He was he was, which is fine because they say in golf sometimes your 50% swing is your best swing. You'll actually hit the ball more solid. Um, So it can be that way in punting too. But now hearing that, you know, Nick Saban used that word re-injure, that makes me wonder if that is actually the case. It's probably going to be a while before you see Will Reichert in any capacity, if in fact that is the case. Talking Tide Podcast at podbean.com,
0: iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in the Twitter feed, Talking underscore Tide. I'm going to take a quick break and thank a couple of our sponsors, Travis. Uh, we are live at one of them.
1: Heat Pizza Bar, man. Sunday night. Is it getting better than this right now? We're sitting here at the corner of the bar. Uh, we've got the Cowboys and the Eagles on. We've got one of our biggest fans of the show directly to my left, enjoying the, the the setting with us. She is just so thrilled to be here, but it is awesome, man. We had a we had a pre-show pizza and a couple of those garden salads. Those garden salads with some cranberries, some pecans, some goat cheese with that raspberry vinaigrette. That was outstanding. That Thai chicken pizza is always perfect. And they got cold drinks. They got cold drinks, as they say in the south here. At Heat Pizza Bar. Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa, at Government Plaza. Man, Frank is such a great host. They had live music here over the weekend that was outstanding. Just a great, great place here in downtown Tuscaloosa. That's Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa, at Government Plaza. I'll tell you where else I was in the last 36 hours, too, good Brett. I was at Brick and Spoon. First thing Saturday morning, the third Saturday in October, the wife... Me and the youngest, first thing we did Saturday morning, get in the rig, come downtown, go to Brick and Spoon. And I really went kind of rogue, man. I went shrimp and grits at 8 o'clock in the morning. I mean, why not, right? Right, right. I mean, you can get shrimp and an omelet and stuff like that. I got these shrimp and grits and chase. It's a Creole style, right? Oh, dude. But it's a breakfast style because they put an egg on top. Okay. So, like, they'll yeah. do a poached egg with hollandaise with the, the shrimp and grits. Well, I'm not much of a poached egg fan, but that's okay because they'll do the eggs any way you want them. Well, I got an over medium on top of that shrimp and grits to go along with everything else, you know, peppers and onion, and it was fantastic. Uh, the wife got the all-American breakfast. Uh, Tatum got the uh, French toast. I had some of that. It was great. But it was just a great, great breakfast at uh, Brick and Spoon. Those brunch options, lunch, you can't beat it. Brick and Spoon, downtown Tuscaloosa at Timerson Square. Also want
0: to thank North River Dental Associates and Dr. Jack Smalley, charter sponsor of the Talking Tide podcast. They do such a fantastic job down there for your teeth, your family's teeth. It's where you want to go. They're off of McFarland Boulevard, located at 1100 Fairfax Park. Uh, the phone number over there, seven, five, two, three, five, zero, six. You can make an appointment at North and they will get you in and out of there typically in under an hour on a routine cleaning. That includes your weight. Uh, they're really quick over there, but they do a fantastic high quality job, uh, and, uh, whatever your dental needs, whether it's teeth whitening services, cosmetic dentistry, uh, endodontics dentures, you name it, they can take care of it over there at North River Dental. Also want to thank Session Cocktails and Spirits, Tuscaloosa's newest cocktail bar located at 2221 University Boulevard. Hunter Wiggins and his staff have been open for about a month, and they are just killing it over there. They've got a fantastic happy hour menu for you. Uh, And, of course, the regular menu, menu, you can't beat that either. Uh, The Capri, one of the favorites over there, made with that uh, outstanding vodka. Uh, It's uh, a donation drink, actually. Part of the proceeds from all the sales of the Capri go to the Metro Animal Shelter of Tuscaloosa. They got a great shooter selection uh, over there as well. Again, session cocktails and spirits. All right, Talking Tide Podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We're rolling on, uh, taking a quick look around the SEC for uh, the week. Florida over South Carolina, Travis, 38-27. to 27. That score, a game that South Carolina pretty much, I don't want to say they controlled it, but uh, they had the upper hand for two and a half, three quarters, and it got away from them late. But with the way the rain was falling in Columbia and with Kyle Trask looking uh, looking like he wasn't going to be able to win it if they needed him to, I kind of felt all along like South Carolina was going to knock off Georgia and Florida
1: back-to-back, but they couldn't hold it. Kyle Trash for about a half was Kyle Trash. All you had to do was replace the K with an H. He wasn't very good. I don't know if it was that wet ball. Maybe it was, but I thought his throwing motion was so tender in the first half. I thought he had an elbow or shoulder problem. You know he's been dealing with a bit of a knee issue, but I'll say this. I've been impressed by him, and I was impressed in the second half. And, you know, Dan Mullen teams, whatever you think of Dan Mullen at times, he goes a little bit to hold my beer and watch this maybe for the the taste of some folks. Uh, His teams make a run usually at some point, and that's exactly what happened in the fourth quarter. They go into the fourth trailing by three, going a 21 to nothing run there to open the fourth quarter. And here we are, Chase. I mean, we're a couple weeks away from the cocktail party, and it is setting up. It is set up for Georgia and Florida to meet for potentially the Eastern Division championship. I would throw Missouri in there too, but if you can't beat Vanderbilt on what the road. In the world
0: was that With a
1: with a third string quarterback? I mean
0: 20 uh, 21-14 that uh, final nobody nobody brutal. saw that coming.
1: Uh, Derek Mason with a kind of I told you so approach post game. Uh, finger wagging almost from uh Derek Mason, but Excited. you know, w- oh yes, but Will Muschamp—it's so predictable in these games, especially at home. You know, when it when it becomes clear that defeat is certain, Muschamp goes nuts on the sideline. He goes he goes plum apy, as they said. <laughs> oh brother, we <where> are? <laughs> That's
0: crazy. Yeah, he does. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. He's when you hire Will Muschamp, you know you're not getting the top It's a show
1: for the fans. It's, it, the fans love it, and I think he knows they love it. And it's kind of like Jeremy Pruitt Saturday night, and I, I think Jeremy Pruitt had legit beefs. But when you're a program that's kind of there in that gray area and you're not quite getting over the hump, it's like managers in baseball, you know. Uh, they they can get, get thrown out, you know, and the, and the fans love it, you know. Yeah. And leave, leave the perception that we got screwed. Yeah, you know, and we, by the way, we always get screwed somehow. I don't know how, but we always get screwed. You know,
0: I can promise you this. Jeremy Pruitt wasn't the only Tennessee coach going nuts because, uh, chain, a couple right next to me and the, in the, I was right next to the Tennessee booth in the Bryant uh-huh. press box. And, uh, just right across the window, I, there were three or four of them. And was and I'd have my elbows on the count, it's the same counter going right through the wall. So, uh-huh. uh, my my elbows would pop off that counter, yeah. Travis. It was getting pounded so hard on the other side.
1: Jim's a big guy, so if he does, it's gonna be seismic. Yeah. You know, big guy, Jim Shaney. <laughs> so if he gets a little excitable in that box, you know, it's about a five six on the Richter. When Jim does it.
0: That's exactly what it felt like. Big fella. Uh, there yeah. you go. Uh, it's going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast. Had a great time here at Heat Pizza Bar. I like that Capri salad, uh, Travis. I didn't uh, have any pizza because I had eaten a little bit earlier, but I can always knock down one of those salads with that buffalo mozzarella and the oh, balsamic man. over it. You just cannot
1: top that. When you got it, I had Capri envy. I was like, man – uh, and, and next time, next time, because we'll be back, yep. no doubt about it.
0: Fantastic time. Frank and Will doing a fantastic job here in Government Plaza. For Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com and Southern Fried Sports, I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. Be sure to check us out Wednesday night when we preview Alabama-Arkansas. We'll talk to you then right here on Talking Tide.